גן עדן. Where does the Torah end? It might seem like an easy question to answer, since we only say the Torah is the first five books of Moses, and thus would end after the fifth book, Deuteronomy. But actually, it's a little bit harder to answer in some way, partially thanks to the Midrashim in our tradition, which identify the end of the Torah not at the end of Devarim, but instead where we are today, this week at the end of the Book of Numbers. One of the interesting sources for this is a tradition that talks about divorce and about writing a, gi- a get and gitin. A get is known in the Torah as Sefer Kritut, a book of cuttings. Not clear why, and not clear what it's a reference to. Karet is a common punishment for people, some sort of excommunication to be cut off. And it makes sense that divorce could be talked about as a sort of cutting or separation. You're divorcing two aspects and two people of a life once lived. And yet when the rabbis try and find a proof text for why a get is called a sefer kritut, they give a really weird explanation, which is that actually there is a book called sefer kritut, and it's in the Torah. The problem is you can't see it. The book, sefer kritut, the book of cuttings, is actually, according to this tradition, made up of all the empty spaces in the Torah. In particular, the empty lines that are there in between each of the five books. Anyone who's looked at a Torah scroll before and seen the end of one of the books will notice that there are four lines left blank by the scribe in between each of the five books of the Torah. It's the only place where you have an actual real line gap. Everywhere else you just have indentations. It's the effect of a page break, really, and it stands out quite dramatically because it's the only place. Four times there are four lines which are left completely empty. The Midrash suggests that these 16 lines are the Sefer Kritut, the Book of Cuttings, which is a lovely idea that somehow even the empty space is a book of the Torah. But the math doesn't quite work because the Get has 12 lines, not 16. And so they want to try and address how it is that we might think it's 12 instead of 16. The explanation they give is, well, Deuteronomy doesn't really count. Deuteronomy isn't really part of the Torah. And so actually, in the Torah itself, that is, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers, there are three places where there are four empty lines, hence 12 lines, hence the same as a get, and thus their proof of Sefer Kritut. It's a bit convoluted, as rabbis are wont to do. But it's a fascinating idea because it suggests to us that actually, according to some at least, we should think about the end of the Torah here, this week, in Matot Maseh and at Numbers chapter 36. That is the end. Now, that's not impossible to envision, seeing as the narrative of the Torah goes Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and then Deuteronomy is actually more of a redux, a look back, a reflection, a bit of a rant sometimes from Moses. Deuteronomy is written by Moses, but the other four books are written about Moses. Deuteronomy is written reflecting back on the past. The other four books are written by a narrating voice, which is in the present. So there's reason to to divorce the book of Deuteronomy from the rest of the books of the Torah. And let's say we buy that. Let's say for now we accept the idea that not only is there Sefer Kritut made up of the empty lines, but also that actually Deuteronomy isn't really part of the Torah. That would mean that we finish the Torah today, 
We finish a narrative that began with the creation of the world and followed one people and one family to Egypt, out of Egypt, through slavery and freedom, trials and tribulations of the desert and the wilderness and the eventual making it to the edge of the land of Canaan, where we leave them. A bit of a cliffhanger, really. Deuteronomy doesn't add anything to prevent that from being a cliffhanger. It's a cliffhanger either way. But what's amazing to me is what we end the Torah on. The Torah, of course, being here ending with numbers. Seeing where we began with the creation of the world, you would think that the very end of the book of Numbers would have some big, dramatic scenario, something to really give us an impression of this intense and expansive story. But actually, chapter 36 of the book of Numbers retells a story we already read a couple chapters ago, a couple weeks ago, the story of the daughters of Slothachad, five women who raised their claim to Moses that they should be able to inherit part of the land, even though only men typically did, because their, their father died without sons. They have no brothers. Here, the story is retold and revised, and the daughters of Slothachad are given a new opportunity to voice their case, and their case is validated once more. And although there is more detail, that they married members of their own tribe so that they could keep the land that they inherited within their tribe, which makes sense, there's nothing really new about the story. Why, if the Torah ends here, would this be the end? Talk about anticlimactic. Not only is it a cliffhanger in that we don't know, we don't get to see the Israelites go into the land of Israel, but also it leaves us in kind of a strange moment talking about legal issues of inheritance and gender and policy. It goes all the way until the very end of the book. There's only one verse, really, that concludes the book, which is not related to this, which is these are the commandments and regulations that God enjoined upon the Israelites through Moses on the steps of Moab at the Jordan near Jericho. Geographically specific. But actually, the commandments and regulations are, are not clear. One tradition reads this chapter, chapter 36 of the book of Numbers, the very end of the Torah of four books, as being in some way a summation of the entire Torah. Thus explains why the end of the chapter and the end of the book and the end of the Torah, perhaps, says these are the commandments and regulations that God enjoined upon the Israelites. They suggest that the interpersonal law of inheritance, of marriage, of divorce, is actually the essence of the Torah. And that this is used as a way to summarize the whole meaning of the Torah because it conveys the values of the Torah. The values of fairness and justice, of legal reasoning inspired by divine insight. It makes a certain kind of sense, actually, to see this as very meaningful and not just accidentally at the end. And perhaps if we do embrace the idea of Sefer Kvitut, of there being a book of blank lines, and we do, as a result, see Deuteronomy as being somewhat an exception to that standard, then this is where we leave the Torah. Not on the mountaintop, not in the drama of Exodus, not in the sacrificial system of Leviticus, and nor are we back on the universal scale of Genesis. Instead, we leave the Torah in a rather mundane moment, in which we're looking at a rather mundane law, but one that is just, and one which affects real people, and one which makes people's experience of the world the primary experience of religion. There's something very essentially Jewish about that, just as there is the idea that the blank lines are themselves a book. And it's not a surprise, perhaps, that that idea comes from the study of Gitin, something which is so far from most people's experience, hopefully, 
but so detailed and so arcane in Jewish tradition. And yet, that's exactly the point. The most detailed things, the most decorated things, are typically the things that are most important. Just as the thing that ends the story tends to be the most important part of it. And what we're saying when we read chapter 36, and when we think about Sefer Kritut, and when we spend so much time and energy making sure we get Gitin right, is that the important things are often the little things, the boring things, the anticlimactic things, the mundane things. There's a sanctity and holiness in the everyday moments of human life. And there's something really beautiful about that, that we don't want to lose. There's something beautiful about imagining that as we leave the Torah of four books behind, we open instead a book of Kritut, a book of empty lines, waiting for us to write our own story, including our day-to-day struggles and our fairness and justice and our values today into those empty lines and into the Torah as it continues to live on in us. Shabbat Shalom. (laughs) 